Have you, uh, have you ever carried something with you all day or most of the day that you, you didn't even realize you had in your pocket? I think this happens to parents more than, than anybody. Um, but I remember, you know, I remember being a kid, you, you get to the end of the day and you put your clothes in the hamper so the mom could do the laundry. And of course, we all put the clothes in the hamper, right? Even as adults, we all put the clothes right in the hamper, right? Not hamper adjacent, but in the hamper. Some of you are getting the elbow or the stink eye. We, we now know that you don't put your clothes in the hamper. And I wasn't so good at it, I'll admit that to you. And so um, my mom, would, she, she wouldn't check our pockets. Like That was on, on us. And so my wallet got washed two or seven times. And uh, some things can handle a run through the washing machine contained in a wallet. Um, my driver's license was not one of those things, but I was kind of a, a procrastinator, and so I put off replacing the driver's license. And, I mean, you could read it sort of, because I knew what it said, so I knew what it was supposed to say, and uh, it wasn't until the only time I've ever been pulled over that the officer, very kindly, he wasn't hard on me, but he said, listen, I, you can't hardly read, you've got to fix this problem, and I wanted to blame my mother, but it was my own fault for letting my wallet get washed, and I can proudly say I don't wash my wallet anymore, but sometimes you get to the end of the day, and you find things in your pockets. Uh, our, our carnival is coming up, this week in our kids' carnival, and, and I can tell you that's a day when I get to the end of the day that I end up with random things in my pockets. I, uh, it's funny, just the other day, Jackson was giving me a hard time, my, my oldest son. Daddy, what are, you, what are you doing during the carnival? What game are you running? I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to run a game. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, you know, to whatever needs done. And he said, well, I want you to run the same game you ran last year. I said, well, why does that matter? I, I thought, well, maybe I did a really good job. Maybe I was just particularly fun. Maybe I had the best game. I ran our Plinko game. Some of you have seen seen Plinko on the prices. We have a mini version of Plinko, and um, I thought maybe I was just really good at what I did. Well, no, what, what the real reason I came to find out was he enjoyed the fact that he knew where I was going to be for the whole carnival, and so every time he would get a new prize or some more candy or too much to carry, he could just bring it and drop it in my lap and leave it there, and he knew it would be safe, and so he'd get more candy, and he'd bring it to me. He'd get more you know, prizes, and he'd bring them to me, and it was nice for him to know where I was. That's the only reason he wanted me to to be where I was. And the truth is, if you're a parent and you're somewhere like that with your kids, at a certain point, they, they start bringing you stuff and you don't even question it, right? You just shove it in your pocket and deal with it later. And so you've got a you know, half-eaten candy bar here and some tickets from the carnival here. And, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm glad that I've learned to clean out my pockets because Starburst through the washer and then through the dryer just seems like a, a questionable thing. But I can guarantee you that this Saturday, when I get home, my pockets will be full of random things. So we can go through a whole day and not realize what's in there. And I tell you that to simply point out that it's very possible for us to carry something with us and not really realize or acknowledge that we're carrying that thing. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we carry with us his good news. We carry with us the gospel. And it's likely that you've heard that word gospel enough times that it's lost some meaning for you. If I was going to simplify it, I would simply say this. It's the message concerning Jesus concerning the kingdom of God, and concerning salvation. That that's what we carry with us. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that there are times that we're carrying that with us, that it kind of slips to the back of our mind. That it's not something we really think about the fact that we're carrying. But it's, I read this the other day, and I had never heard this thought process before, but I want to share with you uh, what William Lane says in his commentary on the book of Mark about the term gospel. And again, I'd, ne I'd never heard this before, but it's interesting. Here's what he said. He said that when advancing into new territories, Roman armies would send a messenger ahead of their troops 
to announce the gospel of the new emperor who was preparing to conquer their land and add them to the Roman Empire. And so we always think of, typically, if we have any connection to church or if we've grown up in church, for sure, gospel, tend, we tend to think only about Jesus. But the truth is they would bring the message, the gospel of this new emperor. And at the point that the messenger would come and say, hey, you're about to be conquered, uh, the inhabitants of the land could either accept the reign of Rome and surrender, or they could prepare themselves to fight. Either way, they were likely going to be overtaken by Rome. The gospel was basically a warning. Hey, Rome is coming. You need to decide how to respond. And so Lane suggests that the New Testament writers use the term gospel to talk about the good news of Jesus because it was a word that was familiar to people at the time of the writings. I think that's interesting. And so if we take that thought process and apply it to the gospel today, if we are going to spread the gospel, we are proclaiming the advance of God's kingdom in the world, which is actually a pretty cool thought. We are telling people that God is on the move, that he's willing and able to come and rule in their lives, and that it's up to them how they respond to that gospel. What's also interesting is that a lot of us think of the church of of Christians today as being on the defensive against sin and evil and hell. There's a a temptation to, to retreat into to our safe space of church, and, and you know, we got to fight off the evil, we got to fight off the devil and all those things. But, but listen to this verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now that's in the New Living Translation. It's likely that you've heard that in a different translation that uses the term gates of hell or gates of Hades instead of the powers of hell. And that's actually the closest English term we have for the original Greek, the gates of hell. Now think about it this way. Gates don't lead into battle. Gates don't lead into battle. Gates aren't on the front lines when there's a battle. Gates are defensive. It's not that hell and death and evil are advancing on the church. It's that the church is advancing on hell and death and evil, at least that's the way it's supposed to be. And in that battle, it's the gospel that we carry. And so I actually love his whole thought process on that. I had not really considered it all the way through that way. I think it's spot on. I think it's a solid understanding of the power of the gospel and of what we're actually supposed to be doing as Jesus followers. Sometimes we, we're kind of waiting and we're really supposed to be on the offensive. We're supposed to be on offense, not on defense. We're talking about evangelism in this series. We're talking about sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel with people who don't yet know or don't yet believe what God did for them. We've been talking about taking small steps, one step at a time that could make an eternal difference in someone's life. And so telling someone that that God even is coming to rule their life might come across as strange or even threatening. It's likely uh, that it wouldn't be initially viewed as good news if you started, you know, walked up to somebody and said, God is coming to conquer your life. Now, we understand what that means, but, but to just say that cold to somebody, it can be confusing. It's probably not something to lead with. But I've heard it phrased this way, and I love this. The gospel is a declaration of war, but the gospel is not a declaration of war on our friends. The gospel is a declaration of war against sin, death, and the devil in their lives. You see, the gospel message that we carry, what it truly is, is liberating. It's liberating for people who often don't need that, know that they need to be liberated, that they need to be free, or who don't know that liberation is even possible. 
In fact, it reminds me of the Andy Griffith show. Um, if you're familiar with that classic, any Andy Griffith fans, it's one of the few shows, like in the afternoon, if I don't want to watch the, the kid cartoons, if I don't want to watch any more Thomas the Tank Engine, um, I feel like I can turn Andy Griffith on and it's okay. Like my kids can watch it. It's not going to mess them up. It's, such, it's just such a wholesome show. We actually, uh, Stacy and I drove through Mount Airy, uh, that area, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, that's, that's what Mayberry was based on, uh, if you don't know that. Um, and there's so much, even at the little gas station alongside of the road, so much like junk that you just want to buy because it's so cool. Like, we're very lucky I don't have, like, three Floyd's Barbershop mugs in my office because they were just, they were cool. And all these little magnets and pictures, we got one little thing from that gas station just because I wanted some kind of Mayberry-related thing. But, but if you've seen the show, one of my favorite things about the show, and I know this isn't a great picture, but it's the best one I could find, um, is when there's somebody in jail, more times than not, there's something out of place. Y'all see what's hanging on the wall in the middle of that? That's the key. It's very much in reach. And for a good chunk of the show, that's the case. The, the, the prisoner could reach out and get the key if they need to. In fact, if you watch the show, you know that Otis does that on a regular basis, um, but not until he's served his time, or at least until he's sober. But it, it's always been interesting to me that, that for the most part, unless there's a particularly dangerous criminal, maybe somebody that's been transferred from the state police, when there are prisoners in there, the key is hanging there, but they don't take advantage of it. Liberation is within reach, but they don't take advantage of that. And I think that's how a lot of people, people in our lives are, are living, with liberation in reach, with freedom in Christ in reach, but ignored or unnoticed. At the same time that the gospel is a declaration of war, it's also a declaration of victory. Because the battle has already been won. Jesus defeated death on the cross and in the grave. And so by the time we as gospel carriers carry the gospel into the lives of the people around us, the only decision left for the person we're bringing it to is whether they want to join God's kingdom or remain under the rule of their former master, who's now defeated and whose only reward is death. And when you think about it that way, my question becomes, do we often recognize how powerful the message we carry is. Do we even always realize we have a message in our pocket in the first place? I would say maybe we don't because a lot of us walk through the days of our life without sharing or even acknowledging the presence of, in our life of such an amazingly powerful message, amazingly vital message. So what we're really trying to finish talking about today in this message is, is how we can advance the kingdom of God by reaching the lives of people already in our life, people that come into our life, you know, on, and, and how we can share the truth of what God did for them through Jesus, how we can advance his kingdom in that way. We've talked so far in this series about sharing the best part of our life with the people in our lives. We've talked about loving one another as a solid and effective backup for the message of Jesus we have. We've talked last week about the need to both grow in Christ ourselves and bring others along with us in that growth in discipleship. Those are all great things. And I want to continue to take the steps we challenge you to take in each of those messages. I've greatly appreciated the, the, the mentions and the text messages and even the, you know, emails and stuff that some people have said, hey, I'm going to try this today, or hey, pray for me, I'm doing this today. Anytime you want to reach out with that kind of stuff, I would love to pray for you about that. Because it's just, to me, it's awesome that you're, you're taking these steps. And I've been trying to take those steps myself as well. I went to Walmart again on a Friday, but nothing happened. And you won't laugh unless you were here last Sunday. The truth is, uh, 
at some point, if we are beginning to be successful with taking some of these steps and with beginning to share Jesus with people, eventually that's hopefully going to involve the people that we're evangelizing, the people that we're reaching out to with the message of Jesus. Hopefully it's going to involve them coming to church being a part of a fellowship or something like that. And that's good and that's important. This is important. But I want you to understand that, that the best way to reach out to the people in your lives is probably not just an invite to church. Because the early church, they didn't build church buildings. They met in homes. And inviting someone new to hear about Jesus for them wasn't about inviting someone to a public facility, but about inviting someone into your home, often to share a meal. What it was really about was inviting someone into your life. And maybe that's something some of us are lacking. Some of us would prefer not to invite anyone into our lives. We like to keep people at a distance. We like to show them what we want to show them, and that's it. We talked several weeks ago about the disappearance of stop-by culture, and this is a, a part of that. An increase in our desire for privacy, our seemingly decreased need for deep relationships. But I believe in actuality we need deep relationships just as much as we ever have, if not more. And so do the people in our lives who don't know Jesus. And for a lot of people who don't know Jesus, don't miss this. This is so important. It's only in the context of a deep relationship that a lot of them would even potentially be open to a conversation about Jesus or church or faith. A lot of people in your lives aren't going to be open to just a cold conversation. If you don't already have a pre-existing deep relationship with them, you're not going to get anywhere. And so it's important that we put some focus on making sure that we have deep friendships both inside and outside of the church. One of the best ways to advance the kingdom of God is to develop those relationships and to do so with people who don't know God, to, to, to figure out how you can grow deeper with them, how you can serve them, how you can meet their needs, how you can be love in their life, how you can represent Jesus in their life. Because the people in your life who don't know Jesus have needs, just like we all do. They have bad days, just like we all do. They have situations where, where they or someone in their family gets sick, just like we all do. They experience loss, just like we all do. But they don't have Jesus. They don't have the hope and comfort that Jesus brings. They don't have a church family either. And yet we have an opportunity to regularly and consistently care for them and simply show up in their lives. You see, some of us are tempted to look the other way when we encounter someone in need. Some of us within our own neighborhoods would prefer to keep to ourselves. And I'll admit to you that I'm guilty of that most of the time. It's a stretch for me to have a conversation with someone I don't know very well. I'm, it, it's something I'm trying to do better with, but it can be difficult if that's not something you're used to doing. Some of us also like to only be responsible for ourselves. And it's not even necessarily because we're selfish, but in a lot of cases, it's because we barely have it together. So how could we take someone else's burdens on along with our own? And yet caring and serving and loving other people can make a huge difference in their lives. It could eventually lead to an opportunity down the road for a spiritual conversation, for an invite to church, whatever it is. I want you to think about the early Christians again. They, they became known for a lot of things, but, but their willingness to serve in, in different and unique ways was right near the top. In fact, I want to share with you an excerpt from a, uh, an article called Four Reasons Why Early Christianity Grew So Quickly. Here's what the writer writes here. They said, plagues, fires, natural disasters, and devastation from riots or wars were semi-regular occurrences in the cities which the early Christians called home. What distinguished 
Christians was their response to these all-too-frequent calamities. Instead of fleeing to the countryside to escape the most recent plague, they stayed to care for their own and for others. Even without any knowledge of medical science, the simple act of providing food, water, and shelter to sick people vastly improved survival rates in times of widespread disease. It also sent a powerful message of solidarity to those pagans who happened to receive a helping hand. The results over time were shifting social networks and regular conversions to this community of faith so dedicated to service. And you read something like that, and it makes sense. It makes so much sense. Of course that would have an amazing impact. It was undeniable that there was something different about the early Christians because they stayed when things got ugly and everybody else ran. Because even in the face of a plague, I'm telling you what, most people were out of there. The idea of, 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 of catching whatever was causing what was going on in those times, and yet they chose to stay and with no medical knowledge simply offer food and water and shelter. There's no way they didn't stand out which to me shines a pretty bright spotlight on the fact that nobody's writing a paragraph like that about Christians today. I mean, sure, we do good things, and there are movements within the church in particular areas that may, may be having an impact in a way that, that may somewhat mirror the one described there. But in a lot of ways, we don't take the time and the effort it takes to serve the way we're truly called to serve. And consider what Paul said is recorded in Acts chapter 20. Verse 35, he said, And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, our ability to understand an idea like that really depends on perspective because I would, we would all acknowledge that it's supposed to be more blessed to give than to receive. But to truly believe that's the case and feel like that's the case takes some experience usually. I remember as a kid, I thought Christmas was all about me getting presents. Like, I was, I was a pretty obnoxious kid when it came to Christmas morning. And so I, I wanted my presence. I wanted to make sure I got what I asked for. And if I didn't get what I asked for, I, I was upset about that. And sometimes I would voice that. I probably deserved punishment on Christmas for those kinds of things. I just didn't get it. I thought it was all about getting everything. Christmas was a day for me. And I can't tell you where it happened, but somewhere along the line, I began to much more enjoy giving gifts, finding just that right thing, seeing that reaction when you nailed it, and you got something they never would have thought that you knew they wanted, something like that. Somewhere along the line, maybe it was when we became a parent, I don't know, I began to love giving more than receiving. And so it depends on your perspective. When it comes to serving others instead of being served, I think it's the same way. A lot of it has to do with seeing the results a few times of what it looks like to put yourself out there and serve other people. That's what it takes for a lot of us to become convinced that it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. When you give or you serve and you see how much it means to someone, see the difference that it makes in your life, especially if what you gave really didn't cost you that much resource or time or, or money. If you see that, you begin to build an understanding that it truly is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Paul also writes in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Galatian church, some of the people in the Galatian church were using their freedom in Christ instead of for, for, for opportunities to go and to serve and to love people you know, unconditionally, they were using their freedom in Christ to go on sinning. 
or they were even lording their freedom in Christ over other people, and they did, you know, they'd say, I'm special because God loves me, and, and it was just, they weren't doing anything with their freedom. There's a temptation when you come to know freedom in Christ to think that that means freedom from all consequences or freedom from all responsibilities, but I like to think of it as being freed up. In fact, freed up for a purpose, freed up to serve others. Freed up in such a way that there is very little standing between you and your ability to selflessly serve others. You see, when you know Jesus, you don't need to worry about yourself anymore, but can and should shift your focus to others, especially those who don't know Jesus. And and I believe that in serving those far from God, we stand to advance the gospel, advance the kingdom of God in this world. And I understand that that sharing and caring for our neighbors and, and, and serving our neighbors may not seem that much like advancing the kingdom. It may feel like it's not having an effect, that it's not making a difference, but it is. If we are developing relationships with those far from God, we are moving closer to an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. God can and does and will use simple people sharing their lives and caring for those in need to advance his kingdom, to build relationships, deep relationships that can someday be a catalyst for a spiritual awakening in the life of someone who needs to know that God loves them, who needs to know that Jesus died for them. In a lot of cases, if that deep relationship doesn't happen first, they're never going to hear that message. We have a responsibility to open our eyes to serve others, to to not ignore the people in our lives who have needs, whether whether they're people we have close relationships with or people we're meeting for the first time. If they have a need, we should see if we have an opportunity to meet it. Jesus, Jesus challenges this very strongly in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, And all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And I've heard this this passage of Scripture so many times that, that there's a temptation sometimes to cut it off right there and to start adding up in your mind and say, well, I did this, and I did this, and I served in this way, and I met this need. And you start trying to see, like, do I qualify? Am I? Could, could I be a sheep here? And if you don't read the rest of it, you can probably convince yourself you're doing pretty well, but Jesus goes on. Excuse me. Then he goes on. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing 
to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And there's a temptation to, to get to the end of it and go, okay, well, then let me think of the missed opportunities. And those are harder to think of because we push those out of our minds, but we say, okay, when could I have, and I didn't? When could I have served and I didn't? When could I have met a need and I chose not to? When, when did I just put blinders on and go right by without action? And, and, and there's a temptation there to start to add it up and to say, well, do I have more sheep qualities than goat qualities? And there's a temptation to say, am I more of a sheep or am I more of a goat? And, and you hope, okay, well, if, as long as this outweighs, I, I don't think that's the point. I, I don't think figuring out where we fall in this range is the point. I think that we're simply supposed to serve other people. I think we need to ask ourselves the question, am I serving the people in my life who are in need, or am I pretending there's no one in my life with need? I don't think it's about, am I doing enough? I think it's about, am I living my life in such a way that when there are opportunities to serve, when there are opportunities to meet need, I do so. I've met people who are a lot better at this than me, and they are amazing, and I want to be like them. The goal is not to say, I'm doing enough. The goal is to say, I serve. I meet needs. And I do it in the name of Jesus. And every opportunity that you see that you can do so, you do so. There's no magic number that's going to make you a sheep instead of a goat. It's about serving. I think the one small step that we need to take today is to open our eyes to the people around us. We've tried to keep these as simple as possible. These are, these are little things, but they can make a huge difference to open our eyes to the needs in the lives of the people around us that we could fill, situations in which we could serve. And I'm telling you, it is not just the big stuff. You can start small with this. You know, look for a family in your neighborhood who has young kids and offer to watch those kids for them so the parents can have a night away. People in this very room have done that for my family, and it's meant the world. Also, you're brave if you take all four of my children at once. But you know young couples, young families who could use that time. And, and some of you are in a situation where, where you, you've got an empty nest now and you love kids and you never get to spend time with them. Be that kind of person to your neighborhood that people can count on in that situation. Plus, when you watch someone else's kids, you can sugar them up and send them home. That's actually the theme of our carnival this weekend, sugar them up and send them home. You get to have all the fun, and the parents still get to deal with the aftermath, but you served them. We need to look for, for people in our community who need help with their yard. Some of you love to mow. You would rather be outside than inside. Find somebody else's yard you can mow just for the fun of it. Or if you're handy, make sure people in your neighborhood know that you are handy, that you know how to fix things, and that you're willing to help. You know, something in their house, something in their car. We, we need to know when our neighbors are sick and offer to pick up groceries or run errands. We need to shovel not just our own driveway, but our neighbors. We need to see these opportunities that, that are already in front of us, open our eyes to the needs and the lives of the people around us. And I believe we can make a huge difference in their lives. And again, eventually that could lead to an opportunity to have a conversation about Jesus. I think if we're waiting for obvious opportunities to serve the people in our lives, we'll end up just doing that, waiting. But if we go on the offensive, if we go looking for ways to serve, not for our own glory, but for God's in the lives of the people around us, we will be taking steps toward advancing his kingdom in this world. 
As we've mentioned throughout this series, you may not see immediate results if you take these little steps we've talked about. You may not even get a good opportunity to eventually share with them about Jesus. You may never see them come to Christ. I can't guarantee that. But that doesn't change the importance of serving our neighbors, serving the people in our lives. If we stop serving because we don't get anything out of it or because we don't see the results we want to see, it becomes a poor representation of what our faith is actually about. Even if they seem disinterested, even if they reject the gospel outright, it doesn't change our responsibility, our calling to serve them anyway. Confident that God is at work and chipping away at even the hardest of hearts. There are people in your life, and you're probably picturing them, who need to know Jesus, who need to know how much God loves them. This week, how can, how can you serve them? How can you meet a need in your life? How can you be a light in their life? How can you help them through a hard time this week, even today? As we finish up the series, I, I would be upset with myself if I didn't introduce you guys, uh, talking about evangelism, to my friend TK. This is TK. Um, I'm hoping someday in person you guys get to meet my friend TK. Uh, I've known him for about 14 years now, which makes me feel really old, by the way. Because I remember when my parents would say, oh, I've known this person for, you know, 10 years. Now he's like, oh, I'm never going to be old enough to say that. I didn't meet him until I was in college, and I've known him for 14 years. So that's saying something. But he remains one of my favorite people in the world. My freshman year of college, during my very first week on campus, I connected with a, a fellow student who was doing youth ministry at a small church uh, about an hour from campus that I've, I've talked about before called Sharps Chapel uh, Christian Church. And I started leading worship at that church that first Sunday. I eventually took over the, the youth ministry stuff there for a couple years. And on the first Sunday, I rode out with the, the guy that was doing the youth ministry there, and he said, we got to stop and pick up TK. And I wanted to say, well, what's a TK? Like, I don't know what that, <laughs> who is this guy? And I, I never, I, I didn't expect it to be anything all that exciting. You know, we'll pick up a student, he'll probably, you know, oh, mom's making me go to church, something like that. That's not at all what it was. I soon found out he was one of the coolest students I would ever meet in a student ministry setting. He was hilarious, he was smart, and he loved Jesus, even at that age. But maybe the thing that stuck out in the biggest way about TK was that he absolutely did not care what anybody thought about him. I mean, you've known people like that. TK was next level. He did not care what anybody thought about him. He knew who he was, and he was confident in that. And as someone who is often self-conscious, as I am, it was something to see. And so one night a year or two later, as I, as I taught a, a lesson about evangelism with our students, I asked the students there what I thought was a very basic question. I said, how do you share Jesus with your friends? And I, I thought they would throw out some, some kind of cliche answers, you know, be nice to them and tell them that Jesus loves them, or, you know, offer to pray for them if they've got something going on. All good answers, basic things a lot of us would say. But TK, I think he heard my question a little differently than everybody else did. And when I said, how do you share Jesus with your friends? He stood up. Now, that wasn't uncommon for TK. If he wanted the floor, he would just take the floor. He was that kind of guy. But here's what he said, and I've never forgotten this. I said, how do you share Jesus with your friends? He said, loudly and enthusiastically with lots of hand motions. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what? Because that wasn't really what I was asking. But, but TK understood something then that I didn't. His thoughts didn't go to a strategy. His thoughts didn't go to having the right words to say. 
He understood, even at that age, that Jesus was worth getting excited about, and that if he tried to share Jesus with somebody and there was no energy behind that, that it was going to fall flat. And so for TK, it didn't matter what he said. If he was going to tell somebody about Jesus, he was going to do it loudly and enthusiastically with lots of hand motions. (laughs) The hand motions are really the best part. And I'm excited to say just a month or so ago, TK reached out and let me know he felt like God was calling him to ministry and he was accepting that calling. So I thought that was pretty cool that, that there's going to be a pretty solid preacher out there who's, who's preaching loudly and enthusiastically with a significant amount of hand motions. But he, he got something I didn't understand because sometimes when we're talking about Jesus, we talk about it like we're sad or like it's something we have to do. The truth is, if we're not excited about what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in our lives, why would anyone care? Why would anybody want that in their life? He'd give you all the best strategies out there on evangelism, but if you're not excited about the idea of sharing Jesus with the people in your lives who need to know him, they're going to know you're not excited about that. And those strategies, these steps we're talking about, all of it can only get us so far if we're not excited about what God has done in our lives. Evangelism, sharing Jesus with people doesn't have to be intimidating. If we commit ourselves to small steps, God can take those small steps of obedience and do amazing, life-changing, eternity-shaping things in the lives of people who need to know his love for them. God will do the heavy lifting, but we have a responsibility as well. And so if I could leave you with one thought from the whole series, it would be this. Where, when there are steps to take, don't ever settle for standing still. If there's room for growth in your spiritual life, and there is, take some steps to grow. If there are things you could do to better reach out to your friends and your neighbors and the people in your life who need to know Jesus, don't stand still. Take those steps. If you're struggling with your prayer life, take some steps to pray more differently in different settings. If it's a a struggle for you to want to open your Bible and read, take some steps toward that. Don't say, okay, today I'm starting, I'm going to read the whole Bible. Say, you know what, I'm going to start, I'm going to read one minute a day. Take a step. When there are steps to take, and I believe me, there always are, don't ever settle, settle for standing still. What it really comes down to is, if we're okay with the people in our lives who don't know Jesus, their, their eternity being in question, if we're okay with that, then we don't have to do anything. But I believe that each one of us has people that God has placed on our hearts that have come to our minds today or during this series that we say, you know, I, this person needs to know. God wouldn't put that burden on your heart for no reason. And I believe he'll bless you with an opportunity to share with that person. So please, Please don't miss those opportunities. We're really good at putting blinders on. But God has called us to reach the people in our lives and in our world for him. So take a step toward that this week. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the people who you've put in our lives, who have helped us get to the point we are with you, wherever that is for us all in different places across this room, but there are people in our lives who have brought us to the point that we are spiritually, who, who brought us to church for the first time or who introduced us to the idea of Jesus, who just had a spiritual conversation with us, whatever it is. Thank you for those people. God, I pray we wouldn't miss opportunities to, to be a part of that story in other people's lives, that, that we could take the opportunity and have the boldness to, to be the person who, who invites somebody to church 
or has the spiritual conversation or, or even really makes the introduction to, to who Jesus is. God, there are people in our lives who are lost and don't even realize it. Who don't know that they don't know. God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity and the boldness that it takes to tell them what they need to know. More importantly, who they need to know. God, if, if, if knowing Jesus is truly the best part of our lives, and I believe that it is, help us to share that part of our lives with the people around us, that more would come to know you. And God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on the greatest gift we've ever received, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. the thing that makes it possible for us to spend eternity with you and to tell others they have the opportunity to spend eternity with you. Just help us to focus during this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.